Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with returning guest, Sarah Hertzberg. So, Sarah was, you were back on, I was just looking it up, on episode 14. Wow. We're on episode 49 now. Oh, my goodness. And we talked about psychedelics. We talked about sexuality. Uh, we had a surprise call from one of our other um, dear friends, Jordan, who uh, <laughs> bombed our call. Um, so, I'm excited to, to have you back and um, to dive deeper into this topic. You wanted to come on and share a new story that you've read about recently. So, I think we can just kick it off with that to spark our conversation. Okay, yeah. Um well, first, I want to say thanks for having me uh, back, and um, that yeah, I'm I'm very interested in talking about psychedelics and sexuality um, from a few different perspectives. Um, but one thing that we can't overlook is the potential for sexual abuse in a psychedelic scene. Um, and you know, before we get into the good, fun stuff that sexuality and the sexual healing that psychedelics can bring. Um, you know, we have to make sure that there's safe spaces for folks to work in. So this week, or actually, I think it was like two weeks ago, um, the New York Times put out a podcast called Cover Story Power Trip, and it is about um, sexual abuse in the psychedelic world. Um, and yeah, you can go listen to it. Um, a lot of folks are talking about it right now in this world. And, um, it's, it's a lot, there are, you know, big, big names and big organizations that are, um, being, uh, the, the being, I don't know, really like question, questioned, um, about their sexual practices and about, um, what they're doing in this psychedelic realm. And, um, yeah, I think it's really important stuff to think about. Um, how much more do you want me to say about it, Mark? Well, I'm, I'm, I want to say I think it's important, like you said, to see the shadow side of these things too. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that we have in our conversations is that when you do this type of work, it's like you're playing with fire, and it can be really powerful, and it can also burn people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you know when folks are in vulnerable spaces and in altered states of consciousness, um, there's just a lot of potential for. Um, for all sorts of abuse um, and the kind of trope of the um, like shaman or um, the holy leader um, gets really muddied. And the reason they call it power trip is because, you know, it, it's about um, abuse of power in these psychedelic spaces. Um, and, you know, like I said before, it's like this, this is something that's so important and prevalent and needs to be discussed. And yet um, as they say in the podcast, like the, the, the sensationalization around, um, like this being everybody and that like you're, you know, the sort of fear of like the Manson family thing happening again, 
um, I think a lot of folks want to like put a kibosh on psychedelic research and on the use of psychedelics because of the fear of sexual abuse and the fear of all sorts of power abuse. Um, and, you know, sort of, is there a way to hold the healing benefits and the tremendous potential that psychedelics have, not just in healing generally, but in sexual healing, in, you know, um, uh, sexual uh, ecstasy, but also holding the um, reality of these kinds of um, abuses of power, you know, in the, in the same hands at the same time. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is if we want this to become something that it enters the mainstream or is a treatment for pain or something to kind of unlock next levels of consciousness or help people become better versions of themselves, we have to look at the risks as well as the benefits. We have to take a real educated look at the full picture so that it can be applied strategically to people that that matters. Right? It, can, it can be effective. So can, can you share a little bit of the details of this case, of this news story, so people can jump right in? Yeah. there's What actually there's happened? A- what actually happened there's there's a lot um and like i want to say that i'm not like a you know super uh expert in this um i have also just listened to a podcast and then you know been on a couple of calls and talks with other folks who are more involved in um this 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 scene um but like sort of essentially there were um there's a school called consciousness medicine that is run by um two psychedelic teachers and they've been training people for many 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 years um in the underground and leading uh uh workshops and um psychedelic journeys and both of them have been accused of sexual abuse of folks people they have trained have been abused of you know pretty serious um, sexual abuse and power uh, abuse. And then a new case that came out actually pretty recently um, is around one of the MAPS, um, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Um, They're running like a lot of the trials right now on psychedelic research. And um, one of their MDMA... uh, PTSD uh, uh, trial participants was like also like long-term sexually abused by their therapist, one of their therapists from the MAPS trial. Um, And then additionally, it's talking, you know, it's looking at how the trial research is done and it's looking at like how people are held afterwards. Um, And particularly since these medicines and um, substances aren't legal, um, a lot of folks don't have access after the trial to these really beneficial, incredible, um, yeah, things that are helping them. And what is the ethics kind of around that? Yeah, that's really clear. It, I think that's a big question I'd never really thought of, of if someone, you know, I guess admits, right, to engaging in a legal thing or taking a legal substance, do they have access to aftercare? And you know, from the work that I do as a therapist and, and that you were doing, integration is so critical, right? You can have these peak experiences and you can have a cathartic release through psychedelics, right? You can 
feel something that's been repressed for a long time or have an insight or a breakthrough or see a new way of being, have an assumption challenge. I mean, there's many things, but without that integration piece, it can be destabilizing right. at worst and just simply ineffective and kind of confusing at best. Right. Yeah, and I think that like the way that um, research trials generally are um, administered is pretty like depersonal and not humanistic. And so I think that question, especially when you're dealing with substances that are so uh, deeply affecting people's psyches, what are the ethical, yeah, like aftercare, what are the ethical um, integration um, practices that, that need to happen and what's the conversation around that? And I mean, that's, you know, an element of this. And then what are the, like, who are administering these substances, whether it's in legal drug trials or it's in, um, you know, the underground? And how do you kind of monitor and make sure that um, people are really getting care for and cared, uh, the care that they need instead of dropped, essentially? Yeah. Did you, you know, see from the podcast or some of the research that you've been doing, are, is any of that in place? Is there any screening process for the practitioners in place for how do you become someone who can administer these things? Yeah. So, I mean, well, well, one thing, so this is also really interesting right now because um, Oregon, which is where I'm from, even though I'm living in California now, Oregon is like really the first um, on the cutting edge to creating the protocol to doing legal psilocybin journeys. Um, and they're like in the process right now of figuring out what the legality, what the um, way, how they're going to ensure safety essentially and create licenses or um, I don't know, certifications or whatever to give to people so that they can be the ones to um, administer these trips. But as you know, Mark, like, I mean, licensure is also a whole bunch of like gerbil and BS. I mean, it, it's real and it's important, but also like, is that really keeping people safe necessarily? Um, and in terms of sexuality, there are rules, you know, we'll probably get into this more later, but if you are a licensed therapist, you can't touch your clients. You can never, ever engage in sexuality with your clients. Um, and that's, what is it, the rule, like, for two years after you stop uh, working with somebody? Yeah, yeah. Something like that, which is, I mean, also a little bit icky. Yeah, the rule should yeah, be never, but should be there, is, never. there is a two-year thing. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure should be never, but yeah, the two-year thing. But but even still, it's like while you're working with somebody. Um, but a lot of folks who are licensed therapists um, either practice off of their licenses or um, you know, let their licenses lapse for these reasons. And that's not a bad thing. That's okay. You can coach or you can ha not work under a license, but, um, it means that you aren't, uh, obligated to follow the same rules. Um, and I mean, there's other boards that are trying, like sex therapy is very under, uh, legalized or, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, um, rules around that, but, but organizations like ASEC, um, and there's other like sex therapy boards that are basically creating licensure for people who are practicing. Um, but even those are complicated and, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily necessary. 
um, and also not necessarily keeping people safe. So yeah, I, I think that that question of like, what can we actually do? Like what actually works um, is a great question. And, you know, what are the tools that we have to answer that question? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's tough because you're trying to measure things that aren't easily measurable. Because what I see in a good therapist, it isn't so much the education. It isn't so much, you know, even a record. It isn't so much like their, you know, things like their demographic information, stuff that you can easily pick up or how they answer a test or personality inventory. It's so much about their own ability to wield power and to wield influence. I think it's what it boils down to. And maybe their internal level of like loneliness in some ways, because I do want to say, and this is not a great thing on our industry, but of not not a lot, but a significant amount of therapists have sex with their clients, right? Like this is a thing that happens. It is the most common Oof. grievance that happens in our industry by far. So this is something that happens whether psychedelics involved or not. And there's just something that happens when you're in that emotional space with somebody. If the practitioner or the therapist hasn't done a lot of their own work, if they are particularly lonely, if they are burnt out, if they're working too much, they're going to be really susceptible to crossing the line. I think, you know, this is my opinion, I think when you add psychedelics, you're making that client another level of vulnerable because now they're also in an altered state. But there is this abuse of power that happens whether or not psychedelics are involved. And I think it's something, it's a real shadow side of our industry mm. that doesn't quite get talked about enough. Yeah. 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 I think that that, um, is really fair and that, you know, this is, this is the most emotionally vulnerable that most people are ever in their lives. When you're, when you're speaking with a therapist, just, just a talk therapist. Um, and then let alone when you're in, you know, a, a psychedelic altered state. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I mean, who's having these conversations too, you know? And, and I think that also the, the issue is that they then get like really um, sensationalized and there's a lot of this like red tape. Now I feel like I'm saying this in a bad way, but it's like, there's all this red tape. It's like, don't do this, don't do this. And it becomes like, um, but nobody's actually having conversations of like, well, I guess like erotic countertransference and all of that. But it's like, you know, what do you actually do if you're uh, attracted to a client? Like how... Yeah, another thing that I think is really interesting in this um, in this scene and a lot of what's getting talked about is like that like the resistance that the way that a lot of these psychedelic therapists have kind of um, gone into this is like, oh, you're just resisting this because this is like, you know, your ego and like actually you need to like break down these defenses and that like actually like you having sex with me or engaging and oh, I need to hug you because this is like um, – whatever important for your healing um yeah, that's and that's icky i just feel icky just hearing that incredibly icky like incredibly icky and then also it's like you know that language too right mark i mean that mm -hmm. is so in this like healing scene and it's it's really icky um yeah so there's a lot there's a lot here there's a lot here um and again, it's like, I, I think it needs to be talked about. And like what you're saying, you know, it's, it's very possible and yet it, it, it happens. And yet, um, there's, there's also so much potential and so much, um, in beautiful things that can happen, um, in sexual realms. 
So that's partly why I'm really interested in doing couples work, um, which I'll talk about in the next section. Right. We're going to people where there's consent and there is already buying and sexual comfortability. Exactly. You know, there's, there, there's a lot here. So we do have to move to our first commercial break. When we get back, we'll talk about some of the positive sides of it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the erotic countertransference that you brought up, which for those listeners out there essentially is when there's sexual erotic feelings in the room of a therapist, how you might work with that. And just kind of the dangers of, I think just brought out in loneliness in general, as it, mm. as it plays into our profession and it's not an excuse, but it is a reason. I think as the people of power, we have to figure out ways to manage that, but it does help to understand what might be going on around this intimacy, because I'll be honest, a lot of therapists are as emotionally uh, bankrupt as their clients are, <laughs> you know, um, and some therapists that I would say are not as great get as get their needs met too in the session around connection and intimacy yeah. so yeah. we're moving to our commercial break but uh we'll catch you on the other side become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america in Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. We're sitting here with Sarah Hertzberg, and we're talking about sexual abuse in the, the therapeutic space. And we started talking about how it happened around some psychedelic practitioners and then how it expands out into general therapy. And it made me think, so I had an experience. I was not sexually abused. I want to make that really clear. But I had an experience of what's called in the field erotic transference, which essentially means I fell in love with a practitioner. And for me, it wasn't my therapist, um, but it was a yoga teacher. So this is a story. I don't know if I told you this story, Sarah. I can't wait. <laughs> it's so good. So I, I used to practice something called forest yoga, um, which is a spirituality-focused yoga that has some ritual aspect in it, that it has rhythmic drumming that happens in the background. It's in a dark room. Um, it lasts for 90 minutes, so it's a little bit longer than typical yoga class. There's mm. a lot of like powerful breathing exercises that you do in the beginning of it that put you into a little bit of an altered state. Mm -hmm. And the practitioners encourage you to make authentic noises. So in it, you're like moaning and grunting and just like releasing the tension and, and the pain. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, right? So I, I have my own sense of body issues. Um, and a lot of it's around body pain. There's some body trauma, there's stuff like that. Anyway, a big part of this practice is that the yoga teacher does hands-on work. And there was this woman, I'm not going to name her name, but she was beautiful. And she would like put her hands on my back and just like breathe with me. And I would breathe with her and I would be in this like very vulnerable state of, of restricted movement. And it, I truly felt in the moment that her hands were like healing me. Mm. All right. There's warmth to it. I would my muscles would, would relax. It was a very intimate, in some ways, some of the most intimate space I've ever been with, with anybody, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, to be at that place of like restricted movement and to have someone like really beam love into me. And this would happen and I would look forward to it. And nothing sexual ever happened, but I, I fell in love with this woman. I truly fell in love with, with this woman where she was giving me kind of the nurturing motherly touch that I had always craved that she was there for me in a place where I felt very insecure that it was something regular and consistent that I, I could go to. Yeah. And, it, and I got to the point where, because I was, you know, hadn't done as much therapy as I had now, I would get jealous when she would like assist other people, mm. you know, I would get jealous and I would get like, I would miss her when she wasn't around. I like had fantasies of asking her out after class like the lines in my head as, as a client in this case got really blurred. I never acted on any of that stuff, but those feelings were there and they were very mm. real for me. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think this story, Mark, is there more, Mark? No, I mean, that's it. I just, I stopped going there because at some point those feelings got too overwhelming that they were getting in the way of me actually practicing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're, you're highlighting like the importance of talking about this stuff. Um, and I think that there's a lot of like fear and shame and um, complicated feelings in our culture around sexuality and um, touch. And yeah, again, like I thank you for that story. It's, you know, I was laughing a little in the beginning, but it's very, very real, right? And I think that um, when you're in these vulnerable spaces and states, 
um, and somebody is there for you, nurturing you and healing you, whether it's erotic or, you know, motherly or, um, or, or whatever kind of transference you're having, that, that is an incredibly real feeling that you're experiencing. And I don't know if your experiences were ever um, talked about or validated or, you know, you just had to leave that studio in your own mind because you couldn't hold, no one was holding that energy for you. Um, and yeah, so again, I think that like the the poignancy of this isn't lost. Um, but yeah, so then, so then how do we talk about this again, you know? And I think that that's the question that's being brought up now. In addition to what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate and how do we give consent? Like, I don't know what the levels of consent were in that yoga class, but maybe you consented to her touching your back. Um, but you can't consent, like you said, to the sort of emotional out, outpourings um, that you have. And therapists, you know, who are licensed are operating under a certain set of strictures. And yet, like, how can you ever consent to your therapist having erotic countertransference to you? Like, you don't know, that's not a thing. So I think that there's a lot of um, questions here and we're dealing with such gray areas that it's really difficult to navigate with clear and simple rules. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even know if there are clear and simple rules because back to what you're saying about consent, I didn't know I was going to have those feelings until I was in them. And if someone told me like, hey, don't fall in love with your, with your yoga teacher, I'd be like, for sure. There's no way that's going to happen, right? I just don't, because I don't really know what I'm signing up for. Yeah. And I think when you go back to our original topic, which is psychedelics, they're so powerful and sometimes chaotic that it's it's unclear what's going to come up. It, you can't pre-describe what your trip is going to be. Once you take you know the substance, you're just kind of along for the ride. Right. And then you get to this idea of, you know, are you then a, what's called a protected class or a vulnerable population where anything you say after that point is not consensual? Right. Because even if you check in during the moment, you're, you're in a significantly altered state. So it gets very mucky around, is what you're saying true or real, or is it influenced by the state that you're in? Right. Well, and I think the opposite is true too, which is like, you know, in, in non-altered states, like you can give and take consent at, as you wish, like that is a part of consent culture is like, you're no means no. But, um, but if you consent beforehand to touch or to a specific kind of touch, um, you know, what does it mean if you want to take that away while you're in an altered state? What does it mean if you want to take that away, but you don't have access to the language um, to be able to say no? Or what does it mean? Because there are real defenses and there are ways that like, you know, you can be scared and you don't want someone to touch you. And then they just put a hand on your back and actually everything just moves and flows. Um, and God, it's sticky. And oh my goodness, like you said, it's like there aren't clear and simple answers here. Um, and and yeah, so we're navigating like really, and I mean, psychedelics in general are very uh, taboo and sticky topics to um, navigate. I know you've talked about psychedelics with many different people on this podcast. And this is this huge moment of like psychedelic renaissance, as people call it, um, which means that there's just so much 
flooding. There's so much information. There are so many podcasts and people thinking about these and they're the cure-all for everything. Um, you know, and that is messy and chaotic, like you said. Um, and it's creating a lot of confusion and potential for all sorts of different things, including, um, issues around sexuality and, you know, again, like sex and sex and drugs are two incredibly taboo topics in our culture, um, which is partly why I'm drawn to them. Um, and I think that, you know, so then moving into the, the stuff that I want to talk about a little bit more is like also the combination of them and the potential for sexual healing and for ecstatic uh, altered states using the combination of these two things or just, uh, you know, thinking about or, or processing through sexual trauma, there's a, a lot, an enormous potential for growth and ecstasy and work in this arena that I think is really cool. But you have to have all this conversation. You have to wade through the muck and you have to really, really, really make sure that you're safe first and foremost. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I think it's important that we preface it with this before we move on to the, the next segment. So I'm curious to tell us more about the marriage between sexuality and psychedelics. What What's possible in that space? I'm like, where do I begin? <laughs> um, in terms of, so like one of the things, you can talk about this a little bit um, in Stealing Fire. What's the term that they use? Uh, Ecstasis is the term that they use in that book. Ecstasis. Yeah. And ecstasy. Will you describe ecstasis for us, Mark? Yeah. So reading this book, Stealing Fire, which is about this kind of psychedelic revolution that you're talking about and using substances, technology, and kind of communal things to get people into flow states, into states of ecstasy. And what they describe as ecstasy is this idea of it's a transpersonal experience, which means it's beyond yourself. There is a sense of peak experience where it feels realer than being real. Oftentimes there are breakthroughs or there's a mirroring of who you are or a, a kind of a, a resistance or a pattern that gets in the way of you being who you want to be. And it is ecstatic, is where ecstasy comes from, and timeless. A, a big thing that people always seem to say is that time melts away or the moment lasted forever or mm. I don't know how long I was in it for. That's a big marker of an ecstasy state where it's you're dropped into flow, essentially. Um, sure. People are probably more familiar with that word is it would be a flow state that's a very close similarity yeah yeah i love that term ecstasy and <clears throat> excuse me a lot of the stuff that you're talking about um yeah so both you know sexuality conscious sexuality sacred sexuality um different ways of using sexuality specifically like kink um can guide you or you know neotantra or um other sacred practices can can help uh, ex expel you into these ecstasis like states, um, into flow state or into a transpersonal state. Um, can give you you know ecstatic spiritual experiences, um, and so can psychedelics. And I don't have to you know really hammer that in, but but I think that sex is and sexuality is something that people don't talk about as much, or they talk about in much more sort of secure and uh, specific scenes. Um, and so naturally these two things combined together, 
um, can, you know, just exponentiate the potential and the experience of these kinds of states. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can describe a little bit my own um, experience with this. I had a lover who I would specifically take LSD with um, in order to um, to have sex and, um, you know, reach these incredible potentials and, and go to these, like, deep, deep altered states and these really, really incredible um physical, like somatic and also like mental spaces. Um, and engaging in this practice with somebody who felt really safe, who I, you know, had a prior relationship with, who I could come to afterwards with, um, conversations or, um, who I felt, you know, comfortable saying no to or saying yes to, um, was really important for that kind of practice. Um, and I'm interested in, yeah, the potential. So that's, that's like the actual somatic, like erotic experience. Um, and I'm like, I don't even know if I have the language around it or or enough words for it. Um, but I will say something that, um, uh, we used to do a practice called steak and anal where we would, um, do have sex for on LSD for hours and hours, um, and then eat like a big fat steak afterwards. And it was this just like really hedonic, like intense, like most, um, you know, like outrageous and very, like very, very visceral experiences, um, all wrapped up in one. This was like, in some ways also like a negotiation with the shadow and kind of a, like really like deepening into a sort of, um, that, that realm of, of psychedelics. A lot of time we talk about like the, the nature walks and the like beauty and the looking at a sunrise and crying and all of that is very, very true. Um, and also exists and, you know, it, it enhances these, uh, experiences that are, you know, almost like I, I think about the body sometime as this place of holiness and of grotesqueness and it, it enhances those, those experiences. Um, yeah. And there's huge potential, I think, for reaching just like out there states. Yeah. So I'm curious about what you pulled from those experiences, because we're talking before the integration piece is critical. And I think it's critical for when I was experimenting. Um, it's critical in my lens as a sober individual now of not chasing those peaks all the time, but actually having them integrate into your life. So I'm, I'm curious how it, changed your sexuality or how it, I don't know, well, what did it unlock in you or, or what did you take from those uh, cathartic experiences? Yeah. Um, well, so two things. One I think is like, uh, I think there's like a sort of uh, two, two components of like psychedelic experiences one, that, that can be healing. Um, one is like the, the way that it changes your brain and that you can unlock really like interesting and different ways of thinking about yourself, the world, um, you know, these sort of like, oh my God, we're all love, like experiences that you just know and you just feel. Um, so there's that. And then the other is the just like somatically different experiences that you can have. Um, and LSD 
specifically is this really like buzzy, um, sensuous. It can be. And again, like also we didn't give this disclaimer. I hope you've done this before, but like, this is not for everybody. Um, and you know, there's, there, there should be stipulations on who engages in, um, in psychedelic practices, um, in terms of mental health, in terms of safety, blah, blah. We've talked about that, not blah, blah, but there's a lot there. Um, and so I think there's these two components, which is like, it can unlock the, the just like psychological beauty and processing. Um, and for myself that has transformed who I am. And I've been able in those spaces to really, really think about and process a lot of my own history, a lot of, you know, my relationship with the world, a lot of like the sort of transpersonal stuff, which is like, and also like, not, I'm also not an ego. I'm also like one, I'm also like this universal consciousness. Um, and then on the other hand, this just purely like peak somatic experience, um, and I think that, 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 you know, the sort of steak and anal aspect, like that really was that it's like, wow, this is just like something very, very special. And I, I think that that like kind of chasing the dragon experience or this, this kind of always wanting peak experiences, um, is a really important thing to talk about. Uh, and yeah, I would love to, you know, share more and think about that a little bit more. Yeah. So we're going to move to our final commercial break here. I think that'll be a great topic to kick off our next segment on is this idea of the chasing the peak experience and how to integrate it and facilitate it, whether you're healing from trauma or something that you want to go from surviving to thriving and accentuate parts of your personality. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a review, share it, do all the social things. Um, and if not, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark teachable.com that's mark m a r c azulay a z o u l a y .teachable.com 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome to our final segment here. I just I was talking about this book. We mentioned it earlier in the podcast, Stealing Fire. I just look up the authors. It's Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. And what they're writing about, they're really, this book is really trying to bring a static state, this idea of exorcism to the mainstream. And they analyze psychedelic therapy. They analyze, you know, the Burning Man culture. They analyze what's happening in Silicon Valley, uh, in a lot of tech world around psychedelic use specifically. And the point that they're making was something that I am currently wrestling with. And I'm, and Sarah, I'm really curious about your ideas mm. around it. Is this, they have this idea, which to me is a very Western idea of finding something like meditation or something like a, a ancient sacrament or religious ritual, something, finding the active ingredient, extracting that, and then amplifying that as much as possible, which is what Western medicine is. You know, you take an herb, you find the thing, you cut out everything else, and you just like replicate it. And the book is about that. It's about driving everything up to 11. And the argument that they make is that it's more efficient, it's more effective. You know, they say things like, why would you meditate for 20 years if I can hook you up to a machine and you get there in two hours kind of thing? Yeah. And it rubs me a little bit the wrong way because as a Buddhist practitioner, I was always taught, and, I, and I've had direct experience, that the discipline, the grind, the boringness, the mundaneness of a lot of these practices in some ways has been a lot more valuable to me personally than the peak experiences. And even in Buddhism, they say like, hey, when you when you meditate for a while, you're going to get like crazy powers. Like literally, they say like, you're going to become telepathic. You're going to become clairvoyant. You're going to like see auras, but like none of that is important and just keep sitting. Like yeah. they, they explicitly say, don't go for the crazy shit. Just stay on the path. And these things are actually distractions to what meditation is trying to do for you. Hmm. So it's a very contradictory message. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts around that that dichotomy there. Yeah, well, I think that you're bringing up a really important point, which is the the work and the padding around these kinds of peak experiences. Um, I have a lot of thoughts, but one, you know, we talked about integration, and I think that there's, it's more than that. Um, it's about, like, really creating a life for yourself that, uh, that, that enhances and accepts these kinds of experiences that you're going to have into it. Um, in terms of like, uh, 
there's also this kind of like my my like little part of me is like mm, yeah but also like the sort of masculinity of like of like dedication and pain and like needing to like you know do things the hard way and also like what are you gaining from that you're gaining discipline you're gaining power in terms of um, business and monetary influence you're you know gaining a life that looks like what it's supposed to look like in like the white capitalist hetero culture but also like are you losing a sense of softness are you losing a relationship with um, with looking at that sunset and crying, which, you know, we've talked about that as a literal image sometimes, Mark. And, and I think that, you know, we need the yin and the yang and the femininity in the masculinity. And so like, I very strongly believe that like practicing, um, you know, neo tantra or, uh, sacred sexuality or breath work, or, you know, having some sort of, practice around sexuality or, um, you know, psychological integration, if we're talking about psychedelics, um, or nature or meditation, you know, is incredibly important to then be able to have the impact of these peak experiences. And, um, yeah, I, I said chasing the dragon last segment. And, if you're just constantly going from peak experience to peak experience, but the rest of your life looks like you, you know, working the grind and sort of shutting that, that side of yourself off. Um, and you can only access that when you're like at Burning Man or you're like at, you know, this festival or this party, um, that's going to be difficult. And that's going to lead to a life that probably feels really compartmentalized and really, um, you know, possibly even more painful. So part of that also, like thinking about the the widespreadness of psychedelics in our culture, what we're looking at in the medicalization of psychedelics is this take a pill and then go be a better slave for the economy um, or take a pill and then you'll feel better. And that I don't think is... Um, that's definitely not the way that I see psychedelics as being effective. And that's not the world that I want to live in really. Yeah. I think that that tracks because that's the pitch, right? The pitch is that it is a mere, a miracle drug or that it will accelerate your growth or it'll break through that final barrier. And I think in some ways, yes, but without trying to live it on a daily basis, there's a lot of misery. And quite frankly, a lot of the people that I know that are in the psychedelic space are in that category that you really talked about, that they only feel it when they're at a party or they only feel it when they do their one trip a year or when they go to Burning Man. And there seems to be some sort of barrier towards integration or, or barrier towards making meaningful change in their life. They're kind of stuck in this thing where it's like, I'm going to tighten up and clench up and just wait till the next time I can let loose. So I'm curious from your perspective or, or your, you know, experience being in this space, what is that barrier? How do, what gets in the way of people enacting some of these insights that you can get while on psychedelics? You know, like you said, the oneness, the appreciation for beauty, the challenging of assumptions, the breaking down of ego. What do you think gets in people's ways from living it out in their, in their life? We don't live in a culture that's very conducive with that kind of 
um, energy and thought process. Um, we are incredibly isolated from one another on purpose. And if you uh, kind of live that way or bring that energy into your life, it's it's probably going to be rejected 90% of the time. And that's incredibly painful. It's really hard to be so open and vulnerable. It's hard to live you know, as a compassionate being in the world and smile at your neighbors and, you know, in, in a big city, you're just like breathing in toxins and like walking on concrete all day. Um, that being said, like, I don't think that it's impossible to integrate these things, but I don't think that there's a lot of, I think there's specific communities around this, but in some ways, psychedelic headspace is so contradictory to baseline consciousness and baseline reality um, and ecstasy spaces, um, not just psychedelics, but um, that, that they really live in different worlds from one another. And the people that I think are doing, doing this the best in some ways do compartmentalize their lives or actually to be, to be fair, I think a lot of the folks that are that are living this are doing this in all realms of their life, right? So, you know, there's people who are that I know who are who are making their livings, who are doing this work as um psychedelic practitioners or as um God healers is such a like taboo word, but you know, as people who are who are giving um this experience to others. And yet then it's still creating this top-down and hierarchical relationship. And it's, it's still feeding back into capitalism. And I don't know how we get off the roller coaster, the merry-go-round. Yeah. I guess without like total culture revolution, if if that's the angle that we're looking at it through, you need that. But I, I, I do think at least from my own personal experience, Cause it's tough, right? Like I want to be the one that argues for the long, boring path because by and large that does help. However, I've experimented with psychedelics. So I am, I've seen glimpses of that space. I've spent a lot of time in that space, quite frankly, um, certainly when I was younger and that helped motivated me to do that harder path. But I try to take that stuff out. I don't know. I mean, I try to be out there, live without shame, try to be honest, try to talk to people. It's, it's hard, but for me, it's taken ongoing therapy, ongoing groups, ongoing yeah. practice. It's a constant practice, but I think it's what you were referencing earlier to try to continuously open up and bring what can be possible into the real world. Yeah. Um, I yeah, wish there I, was more support for that, I guess. Totally. And I think that that's, I think that that's right. And um, I am running a psychodrama workshop and one of the one of the take homes was like, okay, if I'm in a room and I, I know that I've got this little vulnerable part of me and you've got that little vulnerable part of me, like, can I like rely on you to like, just wave to me and just acknowledge me that like my little vulnerable part is going to be seen by yours. And I think that that's right. Like, it's just about living it and it's really hard. You know, it's hard to feel rejected by your neighbors when you wave at them and it's hard to live in these concrete jungles day after day. And yet here we are, this is the existence we, we have. And how can we just bring a little bit of that, you know, compassion to ourselves Um, knowing that my day is better if I, if I walk through the streets with 
love and compassion. And if I can be, you know, a little open-hearted, a little bit more um, caring and loving, I, I can bring that to the next person and they can bring that to the next person. Um, and we can do that in our work, Mark, and, you know, listeners, we can do that in our houses. We can do that, um, you know, in, in the streets where we walk. And I think that's maybe a take home message is just live your life with a little more love than you have, you know, today. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap it up. So, Sora, thanks again for being on the show. It, these always go by fast. With you. I feel like we could talk forever, and, and we Honestly. do talk forever. So, I know. <laughs> you know just hearing a little bit of our conversation. Um, as we're wrapping up here, can you let people know where they might find you if they want to learn more about you and the work that, that you do? Yes. Um, you can find me at my website, Sora Hertzberg, S-U-R-A-H-E-R-T-Z-B-E-R-G.com. And you can find all uh, sorts of information about me on there. Um, and just, yeah, shout out to um, this person who's doing some uh, sensuality and psychedelics uh, workshops and work. Uh, their handle is the sacred.alchemist. And I think they're doing really interesting stuff. So just shout out to them as an expert in this field. Very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I'm sure you'll be back again for another episode. Absolutely. If you'll have me. <laughs> You're always welcome. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to this episode of From the Ashes. Again, if you like this and you feel like this message needs to get out there, share it, give us an Apple review, um, do all the social media stuff. It really helps to grow our audience. Thank you much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.